morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I welcome uh, my brother Philip here today. It's his first Sunday here, right, Philip? Today's your first day. And uh, we welcome him and we welcome any of you guys that are visitors this morning. We pray that you're encouraged this morning. I see some faces this morning I haven't seen in a little while. And believe me, when I see you, I just want to smile, right? And so, I mean, I, your, your faces are beautiful. And I really do pray that uh, uh, we all, collectively, every one of us, leave here this morning strengthened and encouraged and empowered by God's Word to affect the world in which we live. Amen? Amen. With the Gospel. Amen? All right, hey, we're in Exodus, right? That's what the screen says up there. Last week, uh, we, we finished out Exodus chapter 4. And so we're going to slide into Exodus chapter 5. We're going to look at what God is saying to uh, us through uh, the life of Moses. Uh, it, this is going to be the first uh, confrontation between the purpose and the heart of God and the heart of Pharaoh and the agenda of Egypt. All right? That's what we find in chapter 5. But hey, how did we get to chapter 5? In chapter 4, Moses has, has left the burning bush experience. Remember, we touched on that last week. And, uh, and, and I challenged you guys as God was challenging me, uh, how do we respond to a burning bush experience, right? We all have those types of experiences, but how do we leave those experiences, changed or unchanged? You know, and, and so Moses leaves this burning bush experience. He goes back to his father-in-law Jethro. He asks for his blessing, basically his permission to return to Egypt. His father-in-law gives him the permission. So he basically loads up his family. Remember, he takes his wife Zipporah, uh, his son Gershom, and his other son Eliezer, right? And the scripture says that he places them on the back of a donkey. Now, one of the things that we touched on last week, and I want you guys really to, to, to grasp a hold of this, one of the things in Moses' exiting of uh, Midian where Jethro and he had lived uh, with the family of Jethro for the last 40 years, one of the things that he made sure to carry with him was the staff of God. Remember that? The staff of God represented the power of God. And God said for him to take that staff with him. So as he was leaving home, right, as he was leaving home, there were a lot of things left behind, and you understand that. But the thing that he doesn't leave behind is the power of God. He takes it in his hand, and he carries that with him, with his family on the back of a donkey, right? And I challenge you guys, and this is a challenge that rests in my own heart, that we have to ask ourselves... Am I making room in my hands, spiritual hands? Am I emptying these hands that they may be filled with the power of God? Because the thing that you and I cannot do is carry the things of this world with the power of God. It just don't jive, man. You know what I'm talking about? And so Moses has to make a decision. He carries very little with him. What is it that I'm leaving behind and what is it that I'm taking with me and what he chooses to take with him and what you and I need to be choosing to take with us is the influence and the power of God, right? And it may cost us leaving some things behind in our lives, but we're better for it, amen? If we're wanting to accomplish the purpose of God. Okay, so he sets out, he encounters his brother Aaron. Remember this? 
Where at? He in, in, at the mountain of God. So he's, he's circling back around. He's headed back to Egypt. He encounters Aaron. What, what, is, what is so surprising about that? Well, that is what God said he would do, that Aaron was on his way. Remember that? And we talked about the providence of God and how the providence of God should be an encouragement to us. When God says certain things and God begins to shape things out and he begins to create things in our lives and we begin to witness it and see it, it should encourage us knowing that God is working behind the scenes. Are you encouraged by the providence of God in your life? When you see God working, you should be. Okay, let's move on. And then uh, upon uh, connecting, reconnecting with his brother Aaron, they make their way into Egypt. Right? They crossed the state line. I told my son, son one time, I said, uh, uh, I was driving across the country to, to some degree, and I said, I drove across Kansas. And I said, Kansas was the flattest state I'd ever been through. I said, but there was one thing that I was really excited about seeing in Kansas. And he said, what's that? I said, the state line. <laughs> right? Right? And so it is. He, he is coming into he is coming into Egypt. They cross over uh, uh, the border of Egypt and they engage, this is Aaron and Moses, they engage the elders of Egypt and they communicate with them the message that God has given Moses and Aaron to communicate to them. Remember, Aaron was going to be a mouthpiece for Moses, remember? And so that's where we pick up today in chapter 5. Right? They're in Egypt. All right, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Father, in Jesus' name, bless the preaching of your word. May it connect deep into the fabric of the hearts and minds of those who hear it this morning. I ask that, God, that you would accomplish that through your power, through your spirit. This morning, that's something I can't accomplish. No one here can accomplish that but you. So we're trusting you to accomplish this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read this. We're going to concentrate on a couple, two or three verses. And we're going to read through some others. And then we're going to close at the end, okay? <clears throat> this is what it said. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, when it says the Lord right there, it's the, the name Yahweh, Jehovah. In your Bibles, it should be capitalized, is it not? It should be. This is what the Lord, so this is a distinct, there, there's a distinction being made here. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. All right, I want you to look at something right at the very beginning of this scripture. It says afterwards. Afterwards what? What had happened previously that this is connected to that they would want you to know it, that it immediately follows that given experience? I'll tell you what preceded this, what it's referencing in the afterwards. It is the moment that they, that they embrace or come into, uh, into a congregational setting with the elders, the elders of Israel within the confines of Egypt. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 and 31, this is what it says. Now you need to listen to this. This is very important. It said, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. I don't know how many, but we know that every one of them were there. 
And I just saw Matthew in the back, and I am so... Matthew, it's good to see you this morning, young brother. Amen. It, have y'all seen Matthew? Good to see Matthew this morning. I'm sorry, guys. Forgive me. It said, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. Mark that, everything. They know everything. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So what is this afterwards? This is following a worshipful, a worshipful response to God's message, right? I mean, man, these jokers, they hear the message of God that he has visited them and that he is concerned about them. And man, the scripture says that they bow down and they worship. But understand that they had been told everything that God had said to Moses. Well, what did God say to Moses? Let me read this to you because it starts to open up a different picture at the beginning of this chapter. In Exodus chapter 318, God says, The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt, that being Pharaoh, and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Did you hear that? Who is to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? Moses and all the elders. Now let's look at chapter 5, how it begins. Who shows up in chapter 5, verse 1, in the audience of Pharaoh? Moses and Aaron. Who doesn't show up? The elders, but I'm going to give you another term for them, another word for them. The worshipers. Their response to God after hearing his concern for them was what? Was worship. But when the worship wasn't enough to sustain them to action, they abandoned the task at hand to who? Moses and Aaron. Right? They were Now I don't know how all this goes down. I don't know if initially when they were told everything that Moses was given by God, that they said, hey, we're with you, Moses. We're going with you and Aaron, and let's go. And they, they, may have started, they may have started a march right out of that sanctuary that was powerful and encouraged, and I can see them as they're going. And as they're going along the way, you can almost imagine as this flock of elders begin to consider what it is that they were doing. You can see fear kind of creep in maybe. And then all of a sudden, a couple of them fall off to the side. And then responsibilities, other responsibilities, distractions. Well, I've got some kids I need. Moses, you guys can take care of this. Yeah, a few more fall off to the side. Other issues begin to arise. And before you know it, by the time they get to the courts of Pharaoh, there's two people that are identified delivering the message of God to Pharaoh, and it wasn't including those elders who were supposed to go with him. Now, Moses and Aaron rise to the occasion all the same, do they not? 
Can you imagine? Now, this would be a disheartening experience. What am I saying? It was, this would be disheartening. If you had this flock of elders with you, and God had already ordained and had dictated and had directed that they go with you, all of a sudden, you think you're leading a large uh, a group of people uh, into a dress Pharaoh, and you realize you're leading no one but you and your brother. You look back, and everyone has abandoned you. And you kind of understand to some degree. You know why? Because Moses was being directed and guided out of his own experience with God and they were having to live off of the message that God had given Moses indirectly, right? They, 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 they kind of they experienced this message uh, through osmosis in a sense. It was a, it was a message given to Moses directly Shared with them, but it doesn't seize their heart like it had seized the heart of Moses. You know why it doesn't? Because it was Moses' hand that went in, in, inside of his dressing and came out leprous. It was Moses' hand that went back in, came back out healed. It wasn't their hand. Moses had had an experience that was absolutely an undeniable experience that he could not instill in them the same confidence in his experience because they hadn't had that experience. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying this to keep it really simple and somewhat quick. You must have your own experience. But the, the good news about this is that God has called each of us into our own experience through the revelation of His Word, His person, and His Spirit, meaning this, if no one else, if no other elder wants to come along into the deep water of your experience, you can still have that experience. You are not stymied, shortened, or cheated, or cheapened by other people not wanting the deep walk with God. It can still be yours. Tony Evans, Tony Evans in the Kingdom Man study we done a couple years ago, he, 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 he shared this analogy. And he said, uh, whenever you go, and this is true, whenever you go into any of these major cities where skyscrapers are being erected, I just shared this with Jim the other day, he said there's a direct correlation with the height of the skyscraper and the depth of the foundation. He said the higher the skyscraper, the deeper the foundation must be laid. The higher, the more floors you add, the deeper, the higher it goes up, the deeper it must go down. Now, I'm over to my mother-in-law's house. She owns a daycare, which is basically built on an old farm. And in the backyard of her daycare, she has these small uh, remnants of, uh, of, of, of foundations back there that used to be little hen houses because her, her in-laws were farmers. Uh, in other words, they were, they were chicken coops. Any of you know what a chicken coop is? Anybody here know what a chicken coop is? Oh, you E-Town City folk, right? You're like, oh, no, I don't know what a chicken coop is. I'm sophisticated. I live in E-Town. <laughs> this great metropolitan, you know, metropolis, you know. Oh, okay, okay. You've watched E-Hall. You know a chicken coop, right? Okay. Well, she's got these small foundations, the remnants of these small foundations still in her 
yard. I can go out there, and what I'll do uh, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning a yard, one, I'll t- you'll see some of this rock from these little foundations that kind of uh, stick out from the ground. They're probably eight inches deep. And, and I'll go through every once in a while, and I'll, and I'll spray yellow on them to kind of make them st- stand out. So if you're going through there, you understand there's some rock right there. Well, they're, they're you know, they're... Uh, Six, eight inches, maybe, maybe. I've never taken a, a, a ruler and measured them, but they're, they're, they're probably six or eight inches. They're, they're not heavy enough or thick enough or deep enough to really support anything of substantial weight. And I make, and I, and I share this to say to you this. We want skyscraper experiences built on chicken coop foundations. We can't have that. You can't have relationships with God like Moses had unless you're willing to go deep and expose your own life to the power of God and not just live off of what someone else has said about how good and how great God is. Listen, my prayer life isn't sustaining you in your trials. It ain't happening. You had better anchor in to who God is because when those storms come, I'm not getting you through that. He can get you through that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hey, Trent, does that mean you won't be there with me to help? I'll be there and I'll do everything I can, but the thing I can't do is be God. Right? And guess what none of you can do for me? You can't be God for me either. You can love me, encourage me, you can pray for me, but God alone can be God for me. Amen? Okay. All right, that's that's verse 1. My goodness. My goodness. I'm going to say something to you, and this is a confession, and I, I promise you, I pro- every Sunday I leave here, I leave here every Sunday, and I'm going to tell you what I feel bad about. I feel bad every Sunday about going too long. I do. Every Sunday, Danny, I think, man, I just got caught up, and those poor people, they, they sit in there for 45 minutes. You know, Kevin... Kevin had one eye sleeping, the other eye was watching. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, hey, hey, he's pacing himself. He's resting one eye and he's watching with the other. You know what I'm talking about? I, I give the man credit. Do what you got to do. You know what I'm talking about? But, but, man, every Sunday, man, this is what I, 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 I wrestle with. So I came in uh, uh, to this Sunday, like I've came in for like the last 50 Sundays, saying, I'm going to make this thing shorter. And now we're through verse 1. To my shame. All right? But what was happening here, these worshipers hadn't bought in to the message of God. And Jesus addresses this. He addresses this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, dealing with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and their traditions, Jim. And you know what he said to them? He said, man, you, you honor me with your lips. And you can almost see in Jesus' face, can you not? You honor me with your lips, but your hearts remain far from me. And I believe in that moment, the response to God was legitimate. But when it was tested, it faltered under the influences of the cares of this life. And they abandoned Moses and Aaron to the task at hand, but Moses and Aaron still delivered the message. And I say to you to encourage you, if you must go with many or you must go with few, or you must go with none, still go. Just don't go alone. Go with God. You'll never be alone. 
All right? Let's look at this. <clears throat> it says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Right? Now, you just walked up into Pharaoh's court. It's like going into the White House and just saying to the president, whoever the sitting president is, open up the Alaskan pipeline. Yeah. Right? Oh, I'm just, oh, oh. No, it's the same. Let my oil go. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of, no, that's, you know, that, that's kind of, that's just, hey, listen, no, I don't want no texts, no emails. I ain't reading your messenger complaints. Don't even send them. All right? That's what's taking place right here. That's what, he goes, and he says, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. Pharaoh responds like this. Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. This is the single most important question that you and I will and must answer in our lives. We must answer that question for ourselves. I don't answer that question for my wife, nor do I answer it for my children. I will answer that question for me and me alone. And they will have that to do for themselves. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 15 says the same thing, right? He asked a very similar question of the disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesar and Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Right? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at them, speaking of the twelve. And he says, but what about you? You know, did you see how that, that kind of zeroed in? It went away from everyone else. He said, but what about you? Danny, Nichols, who do you say I am? Ben, Ashlock, who do you say I am? Gabe, who do you say? Wes, that's what Jesus, who, do, who does Wes Monroe say I am? Jaylene, I could go on and on. Nolan, Dan, who do you say I am? This is the question Jesus asked. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps out and he says, you are the Christ. The Son of God. Final answer. Is it up there? Like family feud. You know what I'm talking about? 100 people surveyed. Top five answers on the board. Peter, what do you got? The Son of God. The Christ. Show me the Christ. Answer number one. Right response, correct. And that's the only response. That you and I will need to be able to make. And Pharaoh says, who is this Yahweh, Jehovah? I know a lot of gods. This is the Egyptian culture. We're flooded with gods. Kind of like America. Flooded with gods and deities and idols. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now we shouldn't be shocked, right? We shouldn't be shocked by an individual who says, I don't know God, so I'm not going to listen to God, right? Should, that doesn't shock me. You know what shocks me? 
is when people say, I do know God, but I will not listen. That's shocking. And they may not say that with the words that fall from their lips, but they say that with their life, right? I know God, but I'm going to live like I don't. And we want to be excused like Pharaoh was excused, but Pharaoh at least could claim ignorance. I don't know Jehovah. I don't know Yahweh. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met. He identifies them, doesn't he? He identifies them. I'll tell you who Yahweh, I'll tell you who Jehovah is. It's these people's God. The God of my fathers, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his descendants, his children. These are Jacob's children's God, Israel's God. God has revealed himself to us just like God reveals himself to Pharaoh in that moment through the words of Moses. Moses identifies him to be the God of the Hebrews, the slaves of the country. It's their God. And God has revealed himself to you. And God has revealed himself to me. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, this is what the scripture says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's literally revealing God here in the scriptures in Colossians. And the scriptures reveal God to us and his spirit reveals himself to us. And so we're without excuse, right? We're without excuse. And once revelation comes, culpability comes. You understand that, right? I'm going to read this to you. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. He identifies who he is, and then he says this. Here's the culpability now that he's been identified. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. You see that? Now you know, and if you don't respond, this could be the outcome. You know what Moses is saying? With this knowledge of who this God is, he's identified himself. Now there's culpability. And if you don't listen, this thing ain't going to look good for you, Jack. Could you see this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. Culpability. Scripture goes on. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron. But you're talking about a prideful, arrogant individual. Narcissistic, right? Right here, I mean, you talked about self-exalting and elevating. But the king of Egypt said, that being Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Like Moses and Aaron had been doing that same work. Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look at the people of the land are so numerous, and you are stopping them from working. 
That same day, Pharaoh gave this order. He wastes no time. To the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. Hmm. People would judge your motives on that. Pharaoh sitting there looking at Moses like, man, I know what's really down. You're just lazy. This ain't about really worshiping. You're just lazy. I remember telling the people at work, I said, listen, man, I've worked here 25 years. This thing is working on Sundays, man. It ain't jiving with me anymore. Not in my spirit. I can't do this. God's got a call on my life. And there were people, there were people in the peripheral who knew me for that entire time who said, oh, man, what's the big deal working on Sundays? You just want a day off or something other? People literally would say those kinds of things, trying to measure your motive. And you're like, man, you don't get it. You know why you don't get it? Because you're seeing things in a carnal manner. This is in the spirit, man. And I said, you don't get it, but I get it, and I'm out of here. After 25 years, here's my notice. Right? Moses, bringing God's word. Pharaoh says, this is about, this is about work ethic. You're lazy. That is why you're crying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep, keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Now, I'm going to deposit this in your heart. This is a method and a scheme that the enemy is still trying to use to discourage you and discourage me. Let me, let me kind of put this in Trent lingo right here. Pharaoh heightens the labor, the adversity, the difficulty to dislodge them from what he claims to be a lie, but it is the truth. And the truth is that God wants them free. That's the truth. And Pharaoh's attempts are this. I'm going to make it so hard on you that you won't believe these lies. How many of you have found yourself in pursuit of God's word and God's truth and God's revelation only to find circumstances, adversarial type conditions arise in your life with the, with the motive and intentions that were planted by the seed of the adversary to dislodge you from the truth that God loves you, desires to care for you, and wants you free. Every person in this sanctuary has been through a season or an experience just like that. If you could just hear the whisper of God it is the word saying, trust me. Trust me. I know it's tough. I know the enemy's striking. I know it's getting hot. I know there's friction in your life. But don't allow it to dislodge you from the truth that God loves you. Right? And that's what he's doing here. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. At some point, man, you guys, 
You just have to quit listening to Pharaoh. Let me say that. Pharaoh's doing a whole lot of talking. And the enemy does a lot of talking to us, and we give an audience to it far too often. This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Maybe if they'd prayed, they'd heard God say, I'll give you a straw. What have we missed because we've not sought God? Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. Oh, I know where I can find me straw. That's what I look for. Look to for my straw. But your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed. You know these overseers? I would liken it to something that probably took place during the Nazi concentration camps. I mentioned this last week through uh, uh, just reading, studying, watching, this, that, and another, uh, documentaries and such. There were times in these concentration camps that Jews would abandon their love for their brothers and, and connect themselves to the Nazis and become overseers within the camps and even mistreat their own brothers to their own benefit. And that's kind of what's taking place here to some degree. You have overseers who are Hebrews answering to Pharaoh. But what happens here is those favorable conditions that were brought about by being an overseer now produces what? The anger and, 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 and the venting of the hostility of Pharaoh now falls on them. And they are beaten. No longer is it advantageous, advantageous to be an overseer. It says, they beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. How do the overseers get into the court of Pharaoh? These are slaves. You're talking about Pharaoh, and yet he's, he allows them in. And I'm going to tell you why he allows them in. He allows them in to sow seeds of dissension and division between the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and the message that Moses has brought. Because when they come in and they inquire for relief from Pharaoh, Pharaoh directly connects this condition, this, this elevating of their persecution and this hardship on the message that Moses had shared. They appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is what you keep saying. Let us go as sacrifice to the Lord. This is why this is happening, because you keep saying this thing that Moses has shared with you. You know what he's saying? It's Moses' fault. Don't blame me. You're blaming. Don't blame, blame Moses. Isn't that how the enemy works? Division, dissension, separating. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> This is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. And you will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble. 
the, the inevitable failure, their inability to meet the quota, the overseers knew that it would be vented against them. They've already been beaten, and they knew they'd be beaten again. And when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day, they realized they were in trouble. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, listen, you're talking about division, sowing division, and it producing a crop, man. I mean, like that. They come out of there, the seed just now being sown with no resistance. You know why? They've not had their own experience. They've not bought into their own, their own their, their ownership of God's message. So when the seed was sown, it just produces harvest of divisions. Almost instant. I'm talking, this is miracle growth to the 10th power. Instantaneous. And this is their response, leaving the courts of Pharaoh. I mean, it was planted here and it was producing here. That's quick, man. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You know what they were really saying? May the Lord condemn you. May he look at you and find you in the wrong and condemn you. What you've caused to happen to us. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in the hand to kill us. And now we're going to close right here. The last two verses. When those words are spoken... I can almost see Moses and Aaron being taken back by this and saying, what? Hold on, guys, we're, we're, we're together in this. God's wanting to free you. But it doesn't take long, does it, for the division to begin to sow discouragement in the heart of Moses. Moses is a man who doesn't have the scripture to lean on like you and I have the scripture to lean on and to fight with. There is no scripture at this moment. He's just a man who's been exposed to the God and he's still wrapped up in all of his deficiencies and all of his failures and all of his inadequacies. Sit on a mission that he's already recognized to be greater than his ability to accomplish. And now the people that he has been sent to set free have turned on him. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? And now, man, they were slaves. Like trouble wasn't already there, right? But that's how we view things sometimes. Why have you brought trouble on this people? And he says this, is this why you sent me? 
This type of adversity often makes us forget what God has said and reiterates to us everything that we were afraid of. I bet Moses says, is this the reason you sent me? God, I tried to tell you I was the wrong man. I tried to tell you I couldn't do this. I told you to choose someone else. And now this thing has come to fruition and it's completely falling apart. And then he says, troubles come, you got the wrong man, and you have not rescued your people at all. That's what it says. But here's the problem with poor Moses. And here's the problem with you and me. We can either rest in God's word or we can wrestle with God's word. Because if he was resting in God's word, he would remember these words that the Lord had spoken, Philip. But I know that the king of Egypt would not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. After that, After I act, he will let you go. Moses should have remembered that, should he? Sometimes we get dislodged because conditions are heightened against us. We forget, Reuben, what God has said. And we can no longer rest in it. We just wrestle with it. We doubt it. We, We speculate. We question But peace is ours, Kevin, for the taking. You know this, right? We know this because we have something Moses didn't have. And that's the written word of God. Prophetically given and prophetically written. Isaiah 26, 3 says this. You, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast because they trust you. The Apostle Paul writes these words in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving. I could break that whole scripture down. We could spend an hour on that. Listen. With thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are the types of challenges that you and I face every day. Now, we're not going into Egypt. We're not looking to liberate an entire nation. But we're wanting to live liberated. We're wanting our families to live liberated. We're wanting our churches and our communities and our country to live liberated. And these same type of forces fleshed out in different, you know, in different ways are still expressing themselves today. And we're being overwhelmed and and we're being uh, dislodged from the truth. And peace isn't ours to be found because our minds are not 
thinking about what God has said. It's thinking about what Fox News has said or CNN has said or MSNBC has said or our local newspaper has said or the White House press secretary has said or Vladimir Putin has said or the people in Ukraine has said or the, uh, the leaders of China and whoever. We're worried about what they're saying. I don't care how many hundreds of millions of soldiers China has how many nuclear weapons any country has. Those things do not matter in the large scheme of things. When we have an eternal God who has been revealed to us and we just read in the Colossians, who through and by, right? He has created everything. We don't have to worry about those things. We don't have to worry about things outside of our control. We give those to the one who's in ultimate control, eternal control. So that's large scale. Those, those are global perceptions and, and perspective. But let, let's, let's bring this thing back home. When the bills roll in and you ain't got the money to pay them. When the doctor calls and the report's not good. When mom and dad, who's been married for 50 years, calls a family meeting and says the marriage is over. When your child comes home from a friend's house and says, Mom, Dad, while I was over there, someone touched me in a way they shouldn't have, and your world comes crumbling down. And you're being invaded by all these, all this craziness. And in the midst of all of that craziness, within the walls of our home, the God who oversees the entire world invades the walls of our residence and says, there is a place that I desire to plant my peace. Amen. And in the midst of that chaos, we can carry the peace of God by trusting God, trusting God with our marriage, trusting God with our jobs, Trusting God with our finances. Trusting God with our medical report. Trusting God with our children. Trusting God with our grandchildren. Trusting God with their plans and his plans. And ultimately trusting God with us. So my question to you today as we close out chapter 5 is are you carrying the peace of God? Because what's about to happen in chapter 6, God's about to show up. <laughs> this thing's about to take a, a hard turn right, Jack. And I can say this to you today. If you're trusting God in your life too, God may be getting ready to show up. And things in your life may be getting ready to take a hard turn right as well. But you have to trust them. You have to trust them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask Carrie to come just for a second, if she would, please. Listen, I, I, I'm not operating in, in any prophetic gift this morning. 
where we are operating under the influence of God's Spirit. I want to ask you to close your eyes. Just bow your head just for a moment. And I'm asking you to do this out of courtesy for those who sit to your left, right, front, and back. I do not believe you're here today to hear this message for no reason. There's things going on in your life. You're overwhelmed. You've been blindsided. There's a task that's been set before you that's creating anxiety at a level that you've never experienced and you're, you're not sure how to navigate it. That's where you're at right now. You've got, you got to make some decisions. Decision-making time has come knocking. and You've got to make some decisions. I appeal to you this morning around a place of prayer, anywhere in here at your seat, around these altars, I appeal to you this morning to seek God, to seek God's word to guide you and to help you navigate this season of decision-making that could forever change the course of your life. Do not, do not lean on your own understanding this morning, but trust in God. Trust in God, and He will direct, guide, and establish your paths, your steps, your order this morning. So Carrie's just going to play for a moment, and I'm saying this place is open to those who are finding it difficult to rest in God's word this morning. You find yourself wrestling, but you want to rest. This is a good time to rest, to find rest, and to find peace in Jesus. This moment of the service is all yours and God's. It's your time to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.